Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every week at Saturday, 12 noon. High noon. It's high noon for public education in Australia, that's for sure. And we are here to defend and to promote public education at this high noon for it. We believe that public education should be public in purpose and outcome. It should also be public in access. Above all, it should be public in access. It should be open to all children. And any school that has public funding should be open to all children. That's our position. As well as that, uh, we believe that it should be publicly owned and controlled. And it's the only way that it can be publicly accountable is if it's a public institution with proper accountability. Uh, There has been a privatisation experiment in Australia for the last 50 years and it has failed. Australia is falling behind the rest of the world, but uh, nobody wants to admit to the failure any more than they want to admit to the failure in the energy with the energy crisis. It's a failure of privatisation. And the tragedy is, of course, that Australia had solved all these problems and then we went and unsolved them about uh, 40, 50 years ago. The uh, Labor Party were part and parcel of it, of course, this privatisation market ideology that we're dealing with. And um, the dogs have been here through all of this, and we have held the line. We believe that public is public and private is private, and never the twain shall meet. We have a website, www.adogs.info, and here is our press release 721. Gonski 2.0, an independent review, question mark. Dogs note that there's nothing independent about the Gonski 2.0 review, whatever they want to say about it. Although Gonski 1.0 exposed some of the outrageous inequalities between private and public sector education funding, the evidence of the results of half a century of state aid to private religious schools as a result is there to be observed by all who have eyes to see. But of course, the terms of reference for Gonski 2.0 and their issues paper avoid any confrontation with the obvious issues. Our politicians wish to, decide to be blind. They are sector blind and there's no room to look at the mistakes of the past and learn from them. 
It's not possible to have any semblance of equality of educational opportunity for Australian children when educational institutions themselves, by their very nature and selection processes, are unequal. Dogs would have thought that that was just obvious, obvious for anyone who has any kind of a logical mind or has the eyes to read. The dogs put this, this proposition, if you want to have equality of opportunity in Australia then you have equal institutions. You don't allow any institution that enrols children to charge fees. We put it to the Carmel Committee in 1973. Ray Nielsen and I and uh, the people from New South Wales and I think Marion Sturgis from down in Hobart, we sat in the room in Canberra with Carmel and the committee uh, with Jean Blackburn and with Peter Tannock and uh, Father Burke and a few other people and we put that proposition, and it was the last thing they wanted to discuss. There was a deafening silence. Uh, we pointed out that educational institutions that are not free, that is, that charge fees or discriminate against the enrolment of any child on the basis of creed, colour or parental bank balance, should be outside any public funding regime. It's obvious they worked it out in the 19th century and it lasted for 80 years. So this deafening silence is continuing. Although, after he went on to higher things in his career, Carmel did weep crocodile tears at an academic conference I attended about his problems with fee-paying schools. Well, the crocodile tears didn't help the children from disadvantaged backgrounds, Mr Carmel or Jean Blackburn. They've both gone on to, to uh, they've passed on. If you want to use that term, euphemistic term, I won't say where because I don't know. But Mr David Gonski has even less room to manoeuvre than Carmel ever had. With the sector blind terms of reference and issues paper, members of the Gonski 2.0 um, review have been put into a fairly tight straitjacket and Robert will be talking about this uh, a bit later. The only loopholes for anyone who has nothing to lose, that is at the end of their career and wants a place in history as a tooth teller and we're watching Mr Boston on this, uh, on this level and is determined to expose the blatant failure of the privatisation experiment of the last half century is the following term of reference. Dogs found this a very interesting one. Uh, the review are to propose related transparency and accountability measures that support the effective monitoring, reporting and application of investments. Of investment. Well, we assume that's public investment. Well, of course, the only group that can possibly be properly accountable and it's been proved is the public sector. Uh, through a strong central administration. But in the last 50 years, they have pulled down the central administrations as hard as they can go and built up alternative uh, Roman Catholic administrations and other church administrations that are highly centralised. And um, they have uh, poured the money into the privatisation experiment, which the OECD results indicate is a potential disaster, a bit like our energy crisis. But um, 
unfortunately, the current government, and I suspect the Labor Party too, aren't prepared to front up to their mistakes because they have been very bad mistakes indeed. But um, I'd like to uh, tell you a little bit more about the Gonski material. It's going to give us a report in March 2018. But if you want to make a submission, and anyone can make a submission, you have to do it by the 2nd of November. Um, And uh, you can only write 3,300 words, and you've got to do it um, online, and you've got to do it uh, according to their process. Uh, however, the public submissions process has at least been extended. It was, it was uh, shorter than it is. Uh, submissions can be made via the online submission form until 5pm on Thursday the 2nd of November. So there's a 3,300 word limit for each submission, so I suppose people could make a number of submissions. And the word limit is inclusive of up to 300 words to provide a summary of the key points of your submission. So uh, what they're really telling you is that if you're lucky, they might read 300 words of your submission. Uh, So uh, that's all I'd like to say about it. Uh, Robert has got some more material that he referred to later. But first of all, he'd like to tell you about his new segment about a very special state high school. Yes, thank you very much, Jen. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. You've got Jean, myself and Dale in the studio today. Um, and we're going to talk about a new segment here on the Dogs Program, which is State Schools Are Great Schools. And today I'm going to talk about a little secondary college. Actually, I won't say little at all. Um, it's a great secondary college of substantial size at Keelor Downs. Keelor Downs, one of the outlying suburbs of Melbourne these days. Um, Keelor Downs is well on the way to becoming a very successful school. And do you know why? I know this. It's very, very simple. Um, property prices in its catchment zone are now starting to go up. You can, you can, oh, you can, you, look, aspirational middle classes, they know where value is, okay? Absolutely. They get chatting and off they go. Uh, and Keelor Downs Secondary College is a good school for very simple reasons. Very, very simple. It has a large number of committed teachers who work together to create excellence in education for all the students who come through the door. Not just some of the students who come through the door, and they don't close the door to any students. They open the doors to all students and work with them all. In a multicultural context, lots of students have backgrounds other than English. I can actually tell you exactly what's going on there, if, if you don't mind me telling you, out there at Keylor Downs Secondary College. An amazing bunch of kids. Now, 35% of the kids at Keylor Secondary College... Uh, come from the lowest quartile, and another 30% come from the second lowest quartile. So that's 65% of the kids going to the school come from the poorest half of Australia, which means, of course, you've got 24 plus 11%, the rest come from the richest half. In fact, 11% uh, come from the wealthiest quartile at Keelor Downs. So you've got a bit of a mix. Um, and not so much of a mix as you would expect if it was just a typical school, which is 25% from each quartile, you know, quartiles being a quarter. Um, so it's very, it's, it's quite heavily weighted uh, to having poorer students um, than not poor students. It has 1%, a um, very small percentage, of Indigenous students there as well, but 63% of the students in the school come from a language background other than English. Uh, they, when, when, when they go home, they're not speaking English, but they're only speaking English at school. So it's, it's one of those... Well, it's kind of what you'd expect on the outer suburbs of Melbourne. 
you know, people go there because the housing is supposedly cheap and then they set up a good school and then, of course, the housing gets more expensive. But um, you've got a typical mix of multicultural Australia out there at Keelor Downs. And if you're out there, you know what I'm talking about. It's a nice place to live, actually, truth to tell. And it's a good school. And the school has, if you know what I'm talking about, has a good community. So we're talking about schools. We're talking about communities. How do I know um, they're doing a good job with the kids? Well, the first thing I can tell you is you can just look at the raw results of what's going on at Keelor Down Secondary College. Now, Keelor Down Secondary College has, when I say little, it has almost 1,300 students enrolled in it. So it's, you know, I can see Jean, she's being very good about it, she's being very quiet, but she's going, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's actually quite a big school. <laughs> 1,300 kids at this school. So you've got 1,300 kids in this school and out of urban. How are they doing in terms of raw scores? Big school like that, a child can get lost. So how do they deal with that, Robert? Yep. Well, let's, well, let's, let's just say when it comes to their reading scores, now remember 63% of the kids go home to speak a different language, their reading scores. Um, against all similar schools, they're right up there with everyone else. It's about the same as everyone else. And against all schools in Australia, against all... Compared against all schools, including rich schools and schools like Lauriston, who I'll be talking about later, in, in Armadale, uh, which is in the inner east of Melbourne, for those people who don't know, compared to all schools across the country, they're also just bang on the mark. They're not brilliant, but they're certainly not bad. Um, in terms of their writing skills, so reading's not, re- reading's okay, writing, very good. In fact, they're better than all similar schools and they're better than all schools in Australia. That's rich and poor combined. Spelling, same. They're up there. Grammar and punctuation, same. They are better than all the similar schools um, in terms of... When I say similar schools, that's because that, that, that's similar schools because we do this in Australia. We compare schools based upon the socioeconomic status of the parents of the children coming in. It's, it's a measure. I'm going to say this again. I think it is disgusting that we have a similar score rating in Australia. I think that the, that the education level and income of a parent determines the success of a child at school. The fact that that's a given in Australia is, is, is a disgrace. That's something that we should fight. That's a battle in itself. But anyway, but in terms of writing, spelling, grammar, punctuation and numeracy, they are doing very well, thank you very much, compared to all similar schools and all schools. So just in terms of the raw numbers, they're doing good tests and they're doing good stuff. It's all going well. So how much does it cost is the question. How much does all this brilliant education in this school with 1,300 kids, how much is this costing the taxpayer? Well, shall I go back to what I always say here on the dog's point? How much does it cost to get a gold standard education for a student in Australia? Just a standard, bog standard, not particularly poor, not particularly rich, just, you know, just... Joe Blow probably comes from, I mean, the average student in Australia probably comes from Cambodia or Iraq, uh, or, or they, they could be born in, um, they could be born in Alice Springs. You can't really talk about average. This in is the million dollar question that Gonski should be asking, of course. Yep. And this is what should be um, given to every child in Australia, at yep. least as a base. That's right. Um, I, I reckon, and I'm backed up by research from Save Our Schools, it's around about $13,000 a year per kid. Around about $13,000 a year per kid. So how much are the taxpayers forking out to get this excellent value at Keelor Downs Secondary College? 12300 They're actually doing it on a budget. They're doing it seriously on a budget. And so I reckon that's brilliant. So that entire school of 1,000, almost 1,300 kids gets funded by the government per year around about $14.5 million, which adds, you know, which, which when you divide it up, is around about 12, well, it is exactly $12,370 per year. 
per bit kid different per year. to Lauriston when you're looking at 25 million. Well, we are going to come to Lauriston in a minute. So how on earth do they get this brilliant value for money in a school where they take all comers? Good teachers. No one is excluded from this school. What's going on there? Well, good teachers and good culture. It starts with the principal. Now, I'm interested to tell you that what does this mean for these kids? What does this mean? What do these good results mean for the kids? Now, the one thing the school tells us about, which I think is interesting, on the, if you go on their website, the Kilo Down Secondary College website, the first thing they tell you about is what happens to the kids when they leave school. All right? They tell you what's going on today. They tell you what's going on tomorrow. They, 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 you know, lots of support for the parents, lots of this and that. But the one thing that they tell everyone about straight up is what happens to our kids when they leave. And it's really interesting. And they track it year on year, which is absolutely fascinating. Now, what I can tell you is that for yet another year in a row, the Kilo Downs College and its students finished the previous year on a high note with exceptional VCAL and VCE scores. They do both. Many graduating VCAL students secured apprenticeships and TAFE courses. An exceptional number of our graduate VCE students secured university places. And they're also very pleased to see a further increase in our high-performing VCE results with increased numbers of students achieving ATAR results over 80 and over 90. So a range of kids, well done. Overall, 27% of VCE students achieved an ATAR of over 80 and of those, 11% got over 90. Now, where are they going? Well, they're going to Melbourne University. So of, in 2015, 17 of them went to Melbourne University um, 20 of them went to Victoria University, 36 of them went to RMIT University, 14 of them went to Monash University, 5 of them went to La Trobe University, 5 went to Deakin, and 6 went to the Australian Catholic University. So a very broad, but it's very interesting, a, a very large number went to RMIT, and that is excluding the kids that are going to TAFE. So these kids are leaving Keelodown Secondary College and going on into further education. It's not VCE then stopped, No. And I think that is something that Keelow Downs Secondary College should be praised for. They are educating to give these kids a start in life mm. rather than just as an end in itself. And I think that's brilliant. And, you know, having taught in very similar schools through my life, you sort of, as a teacher, you get them to VCE and you think your job's done, but not really. You get them to, through VK and your job's done, no, not really. And it's wonderful that they see it that way at that school. And that's what they trumpet more than anything else. And also, it's not just the scores they get, but it's where they end up. And the principal, Stuart Andrews, congratulations, Stuart, on your school, just by the way, if you're listening. And if you know Stuart, congratulate him from the dogs. We think you're brilliant. Um, uh, thanks, he says, and he says in, in the end of this statement about what, where these kids go, he says, thanks very much to all our Year 12 teachers. He, he knows who he knows to thank. He knows where the work is done. Without whose support and guidance, such results would not have been possible. So, that's Keelor Down Secondary College. Out there, taking all comers. They don't care where you're from. They don't care about the colour of your skin. They don't care about your religion. They don't care what you wear on your head. They don't care what you wear around your neck. They don't care about any of that. They just care about you and what you're doing and what you're going to do to give you the best support in life, which is what a state school is. I don't know about you, but I'm very happy for my $12,370 per student taxes to go to a situation like that. We're going to have a short break and I'm going to talk about a very contrasting situation which has come up in the news in the last week, which is Lauriston Girls' School. By the way, I've, you know, I can tell you here, just between you and media listeners, I've worked there as well. And um, it's an extraordinary setup. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that Kilo Downs is third world because they're not, 
because the teachers there make it a, a beautiful community school unto itself. But at Lauriston, uh, the facilities are incredible, and they're about to embark upon a new multi-million dollar plan to improve them. Unfortunately, at Lauriston, the local residents' association don't think that they should. They have heritage issues, so we're going to be talking about that after a little bit of music. program yeah, different music this time I, I don't apologize uh, Jean didn't choose that don't worry that was Etienne from the album Smash the System and that track you just heard was People Get Real um, yeah it didn't sound like a protest song but that's kind of the way it was intended but that's what, that's what 90s music is like I suppose 
Um, yeah, welcome back to the Dogs Program. We've been talking about the wonderful school out there in Keelor, Keelor Down Secondary, and now I'm going to do a little comparative study because there's an <laughs> interesting article in The Age, um, very interesting article in The Age, actually, written by Julie Zergo. Now, Julie Zergo has been, um, well, I think she's been doing education for, for a while now. She's an interesting reporter. She comes out with some very interesting articles. But Julie Zergo, by, I think she's discovered the MyScore website. She really has discovered the MyScore website because she's done her research on this article, and I'd just like to share it with you. This was published on September the 23rd in The Age, 2017, and these are her words. And she says, It's hard to imagine a planning staff that's more quintessentially Arbordale. On one side, there is the elite girls' school, Lauriston, and on the other the Armadale Residence Group, campaigning for the right to life of old buildings. As The Age reported uh, just two weeks ago, Lauriston wanted to raise its federation near a Sutherland house and in its place build a $23 million sports and wellness centre. I'm going to take a pause here because she says, did anyone else do a double take there? <laughs> Not about the threatened house, but about the proposed new centre. $23 million... Yeah. Then again, Lauriston's revenue last year, this is just in last year, was almost $35 million. That's their revenue every year. Think part about of that. that. Is, part of that is taxpayers' money. Indeed. But revenue. What kind of, reven- what kind of well, endowments have they got to bring that in? They've got, they've got pretty high fees, but they must also have endowments such that they can use it for capital costs. In fact, they're not disclosing their endowments. They never but, do. That's the one thing Gillard couldn't force. Mm, it's but, more but than Julie time. But Julie Zergo's found it out because on the MySchool website, on the MySchool website under Lauriston Girls Armadale, Victoria, and please check this with me if you're on the internet and listen to this, uh, Lauriston Girls, if you look at their income earned in 2015, the total net recurrent income for Lauriston Girls School in Armadale is just about $25.5 million. That's what they say they're earning, $25.5 million. Now, that's based, based on the fact that there's about 800, and, 800 or so girls, so it's girls, girls, no boys, 800 or so students, and each parent coughs up on average from prep to year 12, it's more for year 12 unless less prep, um, $26,000 per year for every girl. So that's your school fees. On top of that, the state government coughs up around about $3,000. So you're up to about $30,000 per student income for every student. Now, I'll take you back to Keeler Downs. Mm-hmm. Keeler Downs Secondary, been over 12000 Lauriston, $30,000 from both parent and the state combined. Now, if they're declaring their income's $25,000 and Julie Zergo is saying that there's $35 million, then that's $10 million that they're not declaring on the My School website. And that, as, as Jean quite rightly points out, comes from various income streams and endowments that all private schools have access to. Yes, and, that's what, and, what Gonski and, should be demanding. And, and they don't pay tax no, on any anything. of that. Right. Well, let's, well just, just with that as the backdrop, just that as the backdrop, let's keep going with this article from Julie Zerger. I think it's fascinating because she's basically, she, it's like she's here on the dogs program. She's wonderful. <laughs> she says the news underscores just how just how such bastions of privilege bequeath their students an unconscionable head start in life. If you, if you think that's a cheap shot, she says, consider that last year the school pocketed taxpayer dollars amounting to 10% of its total income. Okay, so that's about $2.5 million 
for the whole school from the government to the school to educate these kids which, whose parents are coughing up $26,000 each. Small change, like it's only 10%, small change by elite private school standards, which is in fact precisely the point. You try and take some of that away and those parents will scream blue murder about how much, they are, how much money they are saving us. That's right. Well, she goes on to say, if you harbour even the weakest egalitarian impulse, this gifting of public money to rich schools adds insult to injury. Oh, she's really going for it. Now, she says, the Turnbull government's Gonski 2.0 school, school funding reform leaves intact... And, and I'll be speaking about this later, but this whole process of Gonski 2.0 leaves intact the elite school's entitlements to the public purse. doesn't change that. doesn't change this fact that Lauriston pulls in a bit over $2 million each year to top up what, what, what they already have and merely, tinkin, and, and merely tinkers with their pocket money. Astonishingly, Labor outdoes the coalition in affirming the elite school's rights to a handout. And this is true. And this is something we've all... Tanya a disgrace. Indeed, which is why the dogs have never been politically affiliated in all of the... How many years have the dogs been around, Jane? Uh, 63, 64, yes. 63, 64. In over 50 years, 53 years the dogs have been in existence, we have never been politically affiliated. I'm sure some people say, oh, those dogs, they're left-wing this, they're left-wing. We're not. They've got nothing to do with the Labor Party. Sometimes the Greens are sort of saying things we like to hear, but even then they've, 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 moved to the, they've moved around. We are not politically affiliated. We are attacking the government of the day because it's the government of the day. Now, as these rich schools get their cash with no meaningful quid pro quo, no equivalent of household chores, the free pass p- persists even after these institutions grow bigger and metastasize in Melbourne's highly coveted middle ring suburbs. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Mm. I love the idea of these private schools metastasizing <laughs> in, 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 in the east. Because, Jean, you've always said these schools are a cancer on the system, haven't you? Cancer on the body politic, yes, Indeed. in many, many ways. And, you know, if you actually look at all of the schools that are there, you have to really work very hard to find yourself a high school in that whole area. Oh, we are shocking. That people do not have a choice there. So if I was a member of the wealthy middle class, I wouldn't live there. No. I think they're very foolish. They're waste, being asked to waste their money. Well, you see, that's the whole thing. I remember a couple, couple of weeks ago I did this since I was talking about Ballman High School, yeah. which has a property price premium of almost half a million dollars. <laughs> so if you do want to send your child to the local state school, you've got to pay to buy a house that's a half a million dollars more expensive than one that's not. <laughs> Well, Keela Downs or Mernda sound like a better proposition to me. People say eat the rich. I reckon they're eating themselves. I think it's fascinating. (laughs) Eating each other. Oh, anyway, look, we are terrible. I call it cannibalistic capitalism. I think you're right. Here I am. We're editorialising. Poor Julie Zergo's article. (laughs) Julie, if you're listening, we apologise. But what you say is just such good writing. I just love that. These private institutions metastatising in Melbourne's highly coveted middle ring (laughs) suburbs. But, says Julie, back to her words now, I don't want to put words in her mouth, Julie says, I cannot weep for Sutherland House, which apparently is fine and highly intact example of its time. The building is no lay-down mosaic for heritage listing, however. The planning tribunal will decide its fate in the future. One outraged resident of the Armadale Residence Society alluded to the sentiment that the wrecking, that the wrecking ball ill becomes an institution such as Lauriston. The optics are undoubtedly counterintuitive. And when I say optics, I mean the way this looks. Optics is a media word. The optics are undoubtedly counterintuitive, says Julie Sergo. A school that itself is a federation near a baby, 
might be expected to revere old things, if only to signify um, its connections with old money. What has the world come to? Well, in recent years, Lauriston, like many other private schools, has been marketed directly to Asian countries. Chinese language enrolment forms can be found on its website in, in a recruitment drive that bolsters its VCE scores as well as its population. Now, Lauriston... I think 83% come from the upper quartile, don't they? 83%, 0% come from the lower quartile, 83% come from the upper quartile, and 97, 97% come from the, from, from the top half of income. The 3% that's left are scholarship kids. They've been, they, those 3% of the poor, of, of people, they're not the poorest. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in the second lowest quartile, but they've been ripped out because they're really smart and they're going to bolster Lauriston's results because that's, of course, results for Lauriston aren't just results. Results are a marketing exercise, mm. which is, I will say this now, the opposite of what happens at Keelor Downs Secondary College. The results that kids get at Keelor Downs Secondary College are a pathway to their future education and prosperity. In Lauriston, the results are a marketing exercise because the future prosperity of these children has been apparently guaranteed by the network that they've been surrounded with at the school. Yes, but it, uh, you I know, find it clogs to, clogs to clogs in three generations, Robert. That's their problem. <laughs> Oh, well, yes, indeed. <laughs> well, Julie Zergo, to be fair, back to Julie, sorry, we, can we, can't, can't help ourselves, can we, Jane? <laughs> Julie, Julie, she says, she says, Lauriston is hardly the only wealthy school undergoing ambitious expansion. Last month, as, report, as reported in the Dogs Program, Scott's College, which gets $6 million, $6 million a year in taxpayers' grant, bought a neighbourhood house in Hawthorne's Hamilton Road for almost $1 million above the reserve, and now owns more than half of the houses in the street. The school's new $32 million science centre has a rooftop teaching area, weather station, wind turbines and sweeping views of the river landscape, quoting from their website. It was reported last year that private schools were locked in a facilities arms race to lure students outspending public schools four to one on capital works projects such as rowing tanks, Pilates studios and sky decks. PLC, which gets nearly $7 million in 2015 from the public coffers, in Burwood recently unveiled a $30 million auditorium with a black box studio for drama classes and performances. Kerry Baptist Grammar, more than $7.5 million, tax-raised money each year. In Q boasts $23 million learning and innovation centre with an audiovisual imaginarium and a United Nations room with city views. This has been going on for the last 50 years. There's nothing new oh, about Ah, but now this. it's accelerating. It's like, it's it's, it's like Trump and Korea. It's just yeah. accelerating. It's getting yeah. stupid. So, now, what's with the reference, says Julie Zergo, with um, Kerry Baptist Grammar, to city views? Mm-hmm. As if these schools are promoting not education, but luxury real estate. Mm-hmm. I think she has a point. They can uh, get a bit much of a shock when they go to university because I don't think even Melbourne University has got... Uh, <laughs> think, uh, Kind of, uh, oh no! If you go up on top, you can sneak in and go up, go up one of the lifts in in in, in the in the, in, the, in one of the tall buildings. You can get a view of the city, go for your life. Sneak into Melbourne University. Well, well yeah. I'm not sure you'll have the same wellness centres, though. Do you? Oh dear, those poor kids! I get to university, and all the wellness centres will be gone, and they'll, and they'll, and they'll be unwell. 
Oh, sorry, I'm being well, I'm being my, cynical, my, Jane. My, I'm so you know, sorry. My experience of them was that all they could talk about were the were the alcohol benders they'd gone on the night before. Anyway, oh, Jane, no, that's no, not fair. That. That's not fair. You can't. You you now you're generalising about private school students at all universities. That's not fair. Some some of my best friends went to private schools. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only talking about the ones that I sat in creative writing classes with. That's all. I felt oh. very sorry for them indeed because they had such a very limited view of the world that they couldn't do very good. Creative writing. Oh, Jane, very limited, Jane, Jane, very limited. I can solve your problem. Oh. Don't enrol in creative writing courses at Melbourne University. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, you're right. I solved my problem. I went off to the CAE, which was much better. Much better. You're oh, right. Okay. You're right. We, we are v- Poor anyway. Julie. I'm trying to get through her lovely article, and we're going <laughs> off on these wonderful tangents. Back to Julie. Now, Julie, at this point, um, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll just read what she has to say. But she says, much the same observation has been made in the UK about this whole sort of arms race by the, by the former Tory Education Secretary, Michael Gove. In a column in February this year, he noted that five-star hotels would struggle to offer the state-of-the-art sports and entertainment facilities provided by private schools for the benefit of the children of plutocrats and oligarchs. He argues private schools should no longer be able to claim tax breaks as charitable institutions. This is Michael Gove, of all people. Yes. And the government should use the extra revenue to boost standards in state schools. This is Michael Gove, the Tory, ex-Tory education minister. He did a lot of harm, actually, to the private sector. So while the UK has a different education system to Australia, it's fascinating to observe how over there in the UK, this populist movement, the two sides of politics, compete on an anti-private school with their anti-private school rhetoric. Hmm. It calls for elite schools to be stripped of their charitable status unless they sponsor state sister schools, offer more bursaries or open their facilities to the public. Now, she says, did that last suggestion arouse your curiosity? Open your facilities to the public. Consider this, says Julie. Australia's elite schools collect taxpayers' dollars, which indirectly helps fund ambitious capital works programs, which in turn further increases the school's revenue streams because they attract more students and also get to hire out their world-class facilities to third parties for profit. Otherwise, these facilities are fenced off as private property and swept by surveillance cameras. One logical quid pro quo for public funding would be compelling wealthy private schools to offer their tennis courts, ovals and pools to the public on weekends and holidays at low or no cost. Now, Julie bounced this idea around with Ian McShane, the Senior Research Fellow at RMIT's University Centre for Urban Research, who wants to see a better integration between education and the urban planning systems. He says it's a very legitimate question, he said. To what extent do these schools consider themselves to be part of community life and part of the urban fabric? The idea of forcing rich schools to open their gates has some moral appeal. Though, speaking personally, I doubt that a Sunday Ivo on the manicure grounds of the Antipodean Eatons would do much for my personal wellness, she says. Now, I thought that was interesting because this idea is not, not young, is it, Jean? I remember you going on, actually, I, I wasn't born, but you did go on a protest, managed to get into a, a private school pool back in the 70s, wasn't it? Yes, I believe that the needs policy of the Labor government back in 1973 was initiated by the dogs. Uh, Mrs Taylor, who was the secretary of the New South Wales Dogs, organised a protest. Uh, in Bondi, the local swimming pool uh, that 
that was near the sea had been closed. There was no place for the public to actually swim. But the Mount, the Mount Waverley College, which was a, a Roman Catholic college uh, with a lot of old boys, I think it was a Christian Brothers College, it, um, it had a brand new swimming pool, beautiful Olympic swimming pool. So the dogs took our dogs and our picnic baskets and we got all dressed up to go for a swim. Personally, I had the most disgusting bikini I have ever worn. <laughs> I was much younger in those days, and um, my, I remember my older sister was horrified at my get-out. <laughs> but um, I, did have, I did have a robe on that I think I put on when it got a bit hot. But um, we, uh, we, we uh, waltzed around and around and around the swimming pool looking longingly at the water. And all of the media came and took pictures of us because it was really quite something. And all of the people going by in their, in their, their um, cars honked their horns in support and we got tremendous coverage, tremendous coverage, from the Fairfax Press at least, from the Herald Sun. And then we did a few more and... Uh, as Mrs Taylor said, the media will take an issue and they'll build it up and then they'll kill it. And we had a lot more demonstrations, but they would not give us any oxygen. But meanwhile, the Labor Party had got the message that it was ridiculous how these schools were being funded. And Carmel, in his first interim report, uh, recommended that the money be taken away from them. He had... A, B and C are levels of our schools. And you should have heard Shaw Grammar and all of these wealthy schools like Lauriston demand that they be put down from A to C, uh, whereas uh, they've been promoting themselves, of course, as schools for the wealthy. So uh, the Labor Party gave in. Beasley, Beasley Senior, who was the Minister for Education, gave in. He and his son are no lovers of public schools. They were moral rearmament people uh, back in the, in the day. And um, Beasley made sure that when the Carmel Committee was finally set up to administer the, um, the needs policy, the so-called greeds policy, we, we found it, um, then only people who were prepared to collaborate with the private sector would sit on, on that. And, of course... Joan Kerner was one of those people, Jean Blackburn and others. So there is nothing new, nothing new at all about this issue. It has just been, if you like, a cancer in the body politic that has been merrily metastasising for 50 years. Indeed. Um, look, you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. I'm just going to just finish this off a little bit after, after a few messages. Teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. 
You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We've been talking about Lauriston Girls. Now... Who's going to defend Lauriston girls for having all this money, this taxpayers' money? Okay, it's $2.5 million per year to educate their children when they've got $35 million per year from the parents and other sources. Um, who's going to make? Well, of course, someone is. Now for the myth, of course. It always pops out that private schools save the government money. And in one of the comments on the argument, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a perennial commenter called Kingston Dude at Melbourne. He says, it's no myth. The taxpayers contribute less to a student in a private school and more for students in government schools. The taxpayers pay for all the government school students' education and only part of the private school students' education. Yes, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, it, but just remember, Kingston did Melbourne, it costs $13,000 to educate a child to gold standard in Australia. If they're wealthy and are supported by their parents... You know, and, and they go to a state school, then the parents can spend as much money as they like on private tutors and all sorts of things, and off they go. That, that's their business, that's their money. Oh, I'm not going to stop them doing that. Um, but if they do choose to opt out of the public school system and go to the private school system, that's also their business, and they would pay for that privilege. Very, very simple. They don't have to go to Lauriston. There is, or should be, a, a public school provided for that student, a place, a desk, a chair, a teacher, and facilities, a hall for them to meet in, a gym for them to play in, that will be provided by the government. It doesn't have to be at Lauriston. Don't get a subsidy for my car or for my petrol. Very, um, very simple, Kingston, dude. And, and, and anyway, I love the public transport here in and, and has been shown, once you get out of the elite private school systems into the Catholic school systems and the indep- other independent school systems, it's dollar for dollar. It doesn't save any money at all. It hasn't done for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in terms of Lauriston... If it takes $13,000 to educate a kid properly and a parent is coughing up $26,000 per year, then there is no need. There is no educational value. It is wasted to give them any more money, government funding or otherwise. Um, if the parents want to pay less to send their child to Lauriston, that's for the parents to get together and say, no, we're not doing it. And then you'd have sort of unions of parents and that sort of thing. But I'm not going to talk about that because that's just silly because, of course, aspirational middle classes would walk over each other's corpses to get to a good school. That has been proven proven in Melbourne in particular, <laughs> but I won't go into that. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, that's the only argument here to say that Lauriston should get taxpayers' money. The only argument was put forward by Kingston Dude of Melbourne. It's, it's a very simple argument that in raw dollars, the child at Lauriston gets less, less taxpayers' money than the child at Keelor Downs. And I'm saying that if, you're, if a parent's putting $26,000 and they've taken themselves out of the state school system, then they should get none. It's very important, as you're doing, to go back to first principles because if you actually give up on first principles in this matter then and, and also on separation of religion and the state, uh, then you can uh, go down a very slippery path indeed. We now have at the tertiary sector... Um, an extraordinary situation with our TAFE colleges which the the public system has been starved of money and the others are wasting public money and putting uh, students in an invidious position. It's quite a scandal, a billion dollars, many billion dollar scandal and at the tertiary sector with the universities we not only have a Catholic university which is very powerful 
and is the main one that is producing teachers, but we also uh, have in Sydney, in the outskirts of Sydney, a Protestant university which is setting up. Um, so uh, I, I find this a very, very sad situation indeed. But it's because we gave up on the principle public money should be for public enterprise only, not for private enterprise. Private should be private and public should be public. Mm. And um, otherwise you're going to end up with a cannibalistic capitalist society. Indeed. I'll just, by the way, the other argument that's always used to, um, to promote the uh, public funding of private schools like Lauriston is that if you don't fund the private school system, all the children in the private school system will come flooding into the public school system and there will be a crisis and we won't be able to educate just all the children. Them over, just now, them I would just ask, Lauriston, if you take away $2.5 million of taxpayers' funding from the, from the Lauriston school and left them with $33 million, do you think, and this is, this is a rhetorical question, I suppose, but do you really think that all the children would leave Lauriston Girls, Girls School and flood into the local <laughs> state school? I think the answer to that question is realistically no. So that argument also does not hold up in this particular case. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the A&L. It's been good to have your company. But before, I, before we all go here and off, off, off into the world of 3CR, it's not the dogs, um, I did promise I'd talk about this new review from Gonski. Um, now, this new review from Gonski is, is problematic in several ways because its terms of reference, and this is always the key, are somewhat limited. The review actually will report to the Prime Minister and Commonwealth Minister of Education, Mr Birmingham, but it will also examine evidence and make recommendations on the most effective teaching and learning strategies and initiatives to be deployed. In particular, the review will focus on the effective and efficient use of funding to, and I quote, improve student outcomes and the Australian's national performance as measured by national and international assessments, including PISA. Australia is falling behind in the PISA results. This is perceived as a problem, so we have to fix that. And the OECD has got to the root of the problem, growing inequalities. Indeed. Also to improve preparedness of school leavers to succeed in employment. I'll let you go to Kilo Downs, ask them what they do and then yeah. duplicate that. It's pretty simple. What they're doing functionally here is attacking the teachers. They're talking about the teaching and learning process. They're trying to get into the nitty-gritty of educational ease to solve the problems without spending more money. Um, this is not the solution. In fact, here at the Dogs, we actually don't even say that they should spend more money. They should target the spending of money to students who need it. Take all the money away from private schools, <laughs> you save a lot of money, and then they say, oh, yes, but, but, but that will cost money. No, no, not anymore. It's very, very simple. And, yeah, giving money to private schools is a waste of money in Australia. Happy to argue that point, but that's not the point they want us to argue. They want us, in this review, to talk about teaching and learning. And it'd be very interesting to see what Mr Boston does. And because when they talk about equity... Equity, the problem with equity in Australia is so deep and ingrained and has been getting larger ever since they've been having PISA results. In Australia, we can't talk about that. You can't talk about poor people getting a better, better result in their education. By, but you have to talk in terms of disadvantage and vulnerability and also in terms of dealing with what they record now. With, oh, they've got a new phrase. It's not gifted and talented. They're academically advanced. Academically advanced students. Yes. Now, to support these recommendations, the review will also provide advice on related institutional and government's arrangements to ensure the ongoing identification and implementation of evidence-based actions to grow and sustain improved outcomes over time. They're going to try and teach the teachers how to suck eggs, and that's going to solve the problem. They're not going to pay them any more money. They're not going to give them any more training. They're just going to teach the teachers somehow to be better teachers, and then everything will be fine. 
absolutely, absolute madness. Oh, also, they're going to promote and propose transparency and accountability measures. So, a few more tests. A few, a few more tests will solve the problems. Let's, let's test kids when they're four years old and that will solve our problems like we were talking about yesterday. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, this, of course, is an ongoing thing as it's just kicking off, so we'll be reporting on it in more detail. But they've started out, their terms of reference, um, aren't actually talking about the problem. It's talking around it. But anyway, you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial with Jim, myself and Dale in the studio this week. We'll be back, of course, because we have to be, because government schools still need defending, and we are the dogs, the D-O-G-S. If you want to find out more about us or get in contact with us, you can um, on our website at www.adogs.info, www.adogs.info. And if you want to call the station um, or contact us or contact the station at 3CR 855 on AM dial at 94198377, you can give that number a call. If you can recommend to us a school that we can, a state school that we can investigate in depth and really sing their praises like we did with Keyboard Downs, because I tell you what, good news is always good to have, and our new segment cheers us up no end when we find the good work that's going on with teachers and students and cleaners and whole schools and communities working together in, the, in state schools to create gold standard education for the kids of Australia. But until next week, it's bye for now. <laughs>
children these days don't. In October, hundreds of thousands of children, parents and grandparents around Victoria will be part of Vic Health's Walk to School Month. Why not join them? Walk to school with your kids or grandchildren and enjoy the chance to talk and teach road safety skills while getting active yourself. It's a great way to spend quality time together. Ask your kids' primary school if they are doing something special for Walk to School Month and remember to walk, ride a bike or scooter to and from school in October. To find out more or to register, visit walktoschool.vic.gov.au, a 3CR supporter. You're invited to the Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering on the 7th and 8th of October at the Victoria Trades Hall in Nam, Melbourne. Speakers from Latin America, so-called Australia, West Papua, Aotearoa and other communities will come together to share their struggles, setbacks and victories. In two days of speakers, workshops, stalls, music, food, discussion, building bridges and more. The 2017 Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering, October 7th and 8th at the Victoria Trades Hall. While colonialism, capitalism and neoliberalism are global, so is the resistance. For more information, including donations and how to volunteer, email lasnet.solidarity at gmail.com or call 0425 539-149. The Indigenous Social Justice Association has been campaigning for over 10 years to end Indigenous deaths in custody and provide support to affected communities. 
Come join us as we let our hair down at a trivia night to raise funds to support our ongoing work. Bring yourself or come with a group and take home the trophy. Saturday the 21st of October at the Victoria Hotel in Brunswick. Tickets are $20 waged or $10 concession. For more information and to buy tickets, head to isjamelbourne.com. That's I-S-J-A-Melbourne.com. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne proudly supports 3CR. Are you the ones on the radio with the hell?